passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Phil Shertog. Welcome to the UFC 267 Post Show live from the post office. It is true. Me and Phil are in person together. In the flesh, John. In the I can flesh. touch you. Unbelievable. And not only that, we were joined by Waiting earlier. Unfortunately, there, he couldn't stick around. There was but... a Waiting cameo, but he was scared off by the main event. Uh, or else we would have had a third chair here for him to uh, <laughs> rekindle his passion for mixed martial arts. But we have lots to get into from a rare afternoon card from the UFC. Such an important card that Phil said, you know what? I'm... I'm going, I'm loading up the car with gas, and I'm making the trip into town because I'm watching this one on Pollock's couch. So welcome, Phil. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, we hadn't seen a show in a while, and so I put out this suggestion, and we had this afternoon card coming up, so it seemed like the perfect fit. You know, nice to sit on the couch, have a few beers, well, a beer or two, whatever, and enjoy some pretty good fights. Yeah, so we're going to get into the card. This was a, a very, I would say, a very intriguing card on paper. If you were in the U.S., this was a free card if you subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. Us in Canada, uh, congratulations, UFC, <laughs> you got 65 of our bucks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, but a good card. Good, I'm, I'm a good, complaining. Yeah, a good card. Uh, yeah, we don't have ESPN Plus, and the fact that it was on in the middle of the day is a bonus for me. Yeah, it's um, uh, depending on your life circumstances. Uh, <laughs> I'm not complaining that we have a, a an evening card next weekend that we will get to before the end of this show. But uh, I guess our headline tonight is 42 year old Glover Teixeira is your UFC light heavyweight champion, which is a pretty that's a very impactful statement when you state it, and one that I did not expect we would be talking about after this. I thought Glover Teixeira represents a lot of potential problems, but that this was a fight that I, I certainly did not feel it was going to play out the way it did. Yeah, I mean, the betting line suggested that. It was, uh, Minus 300 favorite was the champion going into this Yeah, one. Blahovich was, yeah, as you mentioned, a very big favorite in this one. Um, and, you know, we were talking about this, uh, just sort of reminiscing on things that have happened in the UFC. This was 10 years that John Anik w- has been in the UFC. It seemed like time flies so fast. And it was seven years since Glover had lost to John Jones in his first title fight. So uh, it doesn't seem like it was seven years ago. Um, for him, it probably seems like longer, but uh, the wait was worth it because he delivered in a big way tonight. It's, it's, it is a remarkable story with, with Glover Teixeira, not only somebody that had all of those views of problems that uh, stalled his uh, his road to the UFC. He only got there in 2012, 
gets the title fight with John Jones relatively early in his UFC career and just worked. And he had some losses along the way, but won his last five to get this title opportunity. And here he is, your light heavyweight champion. So uh, going into this one, um, maybe surprising right off the bat was the ease at which Teixeira was able to get an early takedown in the first round. And that first round largely just played itself out with Teixeira in Jan's closed guard and landed enough that it was a pretty easy round for Teixeira to take. In the second round, you're seeing a much bigger turnaround with Blahovich establishing his jab. He was fending off takedowns, landing in those uppercuts. And all of a sudden, he his back is to the fence and he sees an opening for a Kimura and just goes to his back and finds himself underneath Teixeira who just is on top of him, gets to mount, and before you know it, he's got the back, instant rear naked choke, and Jan taps instantly. This was, um, we we were just kind of scratching our heads at what Blahovich, like you could see what he was trying to do, but it just seemed, man, Phil, the the risk versus the reward on that did not really pan out in his favor. Yeah, it was a very bizarre sequence because Blahovich had started to do well in this round, recovered, was defending takedowns, as you mentioned, was really timing those takedowns with significant uppercuts, and the fight looked like it was shifting, uh, but then they got placed against the cage, and he got dropped to a knee, and, you know, at first I said he went for a Kimura, I don't know if it was exactly a Kimura, but he was going for wrist control, and whatever that decision was to go for that wrist control and to fall to his back, it was just a horrible decision. Uh, Glover mounted him and then turned him and flattened him out right away and the tap came. It just didn't seem like he, he was prepared for that position. It, it, it was it was actually a very odd sequence to end the fight. Yeah, it was it was a fight where you knew if Teixeira was able to, to get Jan to the ground, th- this becomes a much more intriguing fight. You didn't see a whole lot of dynamic offense from Teixeira in the first round, but his ability to capitalize on that, that clear mistake from Blahovich in the second round... That is all it took for him and got Mount relative, with relative ease. Um, I think that's the kind of loss, Phil, that, it, that like there are losses that you can you can take and learn from. And there's other ones that are just going to keep you up at night. And I think this is more the latter for Blahovich. And you could see, I mean, he just looked devastated after this. And it was just, uh, I think, an error in judgment where he may have seen an opening. But the, the risk, if that did not pan out... It, it, 30 seconds later, your title reign is over. Yeah, and maybe that had something to do with it, the amount of time left in the round. He thought that he could, you know, safely go for a submission or just, you know, control that wrist. Um, but, yeah, I, I do agree. He'll he'll look back on this one and, and not be pleased with the idea of him, you know, giving him... He... As much as Glover did amazing in this fight, it was just such a huge mental error that you cannot forget about it. So with Glover Teixeira, they they identified him the second oldest champion in UFC history, um, because I don't know if Randy Couture's name is going to make it onto a UFC broadcast, (laughs) but um, this creates like a very interesting story with with Glover Teixeira and, you know, uh, Yuri Prohaska, who I think everyone looks at as the next contender, he was brought to Abu Dhabi, weighed in as an alternate if needed, and you would think that is that is the next fight for the two to make. And with Teixeira, he just celebrated his 42nd birthday this year. So I don't know uh, how much time he's really going to want to be on the sidelines. Like this is his chance to, I think, get back in there probably in early 2022 and, you know, maximize the years that you do have left here. But it's an interesting story of a 42 year old who is now your light heavyweight champion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, he was somebody who came into the UFC with a lot of hype on him. He was known for his ground game, but coming into the UFC, he'd been knocking out a ton of opponents. And, uh, you know, largely his UFC career has been very good. It's just sort of some poor, you know, he lost that John Jones fight. And then, you know, some subsequent losses were poorly timed that forced this to be such an arduous road back to the title. But now that he's here, yeah, I, I do see him wanting to, uh, you know, get those paydays early. And, you know, Yuri's ready. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get maybe a three or four month turnaround on this. For Jan Blahovich, I mean, he, you know, in comparison, we looked at him as like the, the younger of the two here, but this is a 38 year old. However, I would say the light heavyweight road back is not as paved with, with, you know, the amount of numbers that the idea of Blahovich at least contending for the title again in his career, I think is a, is a reasonable uh, hope for him. Oh, for sure. And, and even in this fight, like there was, he was, he was looking good in that second round. Yeah. He made those adjustments. It's just the, the the issue where he ends up underneath Glover uh, was costly, but it did seem he made the, those requisite changes that if he was able to just you know work around those uppercuts and his jabs, like this this was going to be more in his favor. That round was looking very good for him. Mm-hmm. And even though this division is a little bit stronger than maybe it was a couple years ago, there are some more names that have emerged. It's still one of the thinner divisions, so it won't take too many wins to get right back into uh, title contention. If you are, you know, this was a debate going on throughout the week, and we saw the back and forth between uh, Corey Anderson and Jan Blahovich. They've split fights over their career, and Corey Anderson actually has a decision victory over Glover Teixeira. Is this an argument you can make if you're a Corey Anderson or Bellator that we have the top light heavyweight out there. Corey Anderson sells to beat Vadim Nemkov, but sure. us, that's I a, mean, look, that's your argument. You can have this, you you have the argument, but who's going to listen to it, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, but it, and I don't mean to be uh, rude about it. It's just, yeah, Corey Anderson's a tremendous fighter, but he's not going to draw that much because a him alone, he's. You know he's kind. He's been bland, even though his last few fights have been exciting. And he's in Bellator, and and they struggle to promote even the biggest fighters that they have. So, um, you know, he's a great fighter. Maybe he's the best light heavyweight in the world. Um, but it kind of doesn't matter when you're you only have one or two other guys to go against. Uh, I do want to chat about the interim bantamweight title fight. This fight was incredible. Uh, they went five rounds. I, I thought this fight was just terrific, and we saw. Um, a very close opening round where you could you could see just the speed from from Sandhagen and Jan defending a takedown, uh, but it was just superior striking and speed from Sandhagen. Uh, but it was Jan making the adjustments in this fight as as it progressed. We saw Jan; he could not miss with that left hand. He was attacking the body, which was just uh, reddening the rib cage of Corey Sandhagen, and it just became a case of. Not even Sandhagen necessarily slowing down, just Jan being that much quicker to, to the punch. And I think finding the timing out mm-hmm. of out of Sandhagen, and that just kind of compounded itself throughout the, this fight. They, they went the full five. Uh, I had Jan winning four or five rounds with Sandhagen taking uh, the first, and that's how all three judges scored it. But this was a tremendous performance by Piotr Jan. They identified him as now a two-time UFC bantamweight champion, which, I mean, this is an interim championship, so let us uh, not forget that this means <laughs> you're essentially the number one contender to the champion, no matter what the circumstances were of Sterling winning that championship. But we have uh, Piotr Jan as your winner. 
Yeah, this was an amazing fight. Uh, much like Sanhagen's earlier loss this year to TJ Dillashaw, this is pretty much the highest level of MMA that you're going to get. Um, very close fight. Very good first round by Sanhagen. Um, he had the edge, but as the fight progressed, Jan just got slow, just edged him more and more. And as Sanhagen slowed down just a touch, Jan was able to get that timing, start landing, and it started to add up. Uh, by the time we got to the fifth round, it was a little bit crazy. That round was a little bit closer, but uh, Jan really started to put it on him. Um, I think his efficiency was landing at close to almost like 40% towards the end of the fight. San Hagen was game. He was in it the whole time. It just seemed like he couldn't generate enough power to get Jan to respect him. So Jan, so by the time Jan was able to figure out the timing, it didn't really even matter if uh, San Hagen was going to be able to connect because Jan wasn't really worried about it. Yeah. Um, to, to me, it was... Um... Corey Sanhagen is a bantamweight that I think he is, you know, he is an elite level 135 pounder. We just saw the difference tonight between someone like uh, Piotr Jan, who I think we saw just a really disciplined performance over five rounds that was not um, discouraged by that first round. It was it was a close round, even uh, with, with Sanhagen winning. But I thought that this was uh, Piotr Jan that I think lived up to, you know, where everyone sees him in this bantamweight division. And I think that, you know, when Aljamain Sterling is healthy enough to compete, uh, that's obviously the fight you make. And the only question now is when Sterling is ready to come back and if Jan is going to, you know, fight in the interim. Yeah, I'm not, you know, you say it's obviously the fight to make. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, maybe you go to Dillashaw first just because of the interest. I mean, obviously, there's that natural storyline that you want to close out on the Aljamain thing. And Aljamain himself, uh, you know, these circumstances are not his fault. So he deserves his title shot, uh, his title defense opportunity. Um, but, uh, you know, we don't know how long he's going to be. And if if TJ Dillashaw is there, TJ Dillashaw is also a legit number one contender after that Sandhagen fight. So um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see that first. No, it's, um, you know, when you're talking about a neck injury that Sterling is recovering from, I mean, there's just going to be, you know, that that's going to be a tough injury to come back from that I don't know if you can necessarily just estimate what the the timetable is going to be like uh, bantamweight is a red hot division um, and you've got some really big fights in that weight class coming up in the near future. So the idea that Jan takes another fight in between that, I think ultimately you do get to the Sterling fight, but there's not going to be a shortage of, mm. of contenders coming up. And we did notice in the last month or so, a former bantamweight champion started to reemerge in the MMA sphere. And yes, he's calling for a, uh, a fight at featherweight, but uh, Henry Cejudo would be a wonderful addition. To, I would love to see Jan versus Cejudo. Forget Dillashaw. Forget uh, Aljamain. Let's go straight to Cejudo and uh, do that one because that that's a really exciting fight. Cejudo versus Jan. Sign me up. Uh, this fight was incredible. Uh, this is uh, to me the the fight of the card. It was uh, a tremendous five-round fight that you were looking for here. So, uh, Piotr Jan is your interim bantamweight champion, one-time bantamweight champion, <laughs> has an interim uh, title reign under him. Uh, let's move on to the lightweight division where Islam Makachev was taking on, I think, his, his toughest opponent to date in Dan Hooker, who, 
I mean, I was reading off this, these names to you, Phil, that since 2018, this is the level of competition Dan Hooker has fought. Gilbert Burns, Edson Barbosa, James Vick, Ally Quinta, Paul Felder, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, and then just last month at 266 fighting Nasrat Hakparast before he uh, comes back immediately to fight Islam Makachev. That is just uh, an unbelievable uh, level of competition that you are preparing for on a on a every single camp. Um, so this was a made this win all the more impressive. Uh, Makachev used a right hook to set up the immediate takedown, answering a lot of questions right there, seamlessly moves to half guard, and then you saw him just working for the Kimura, puts his uh, leg over the head to get the, the full the full pressure uh, on the Kimura, and as he twisted, he got the submission in 225 of the first round. I did not think this would be such a dominant performance from Makachev, and I mean, do you come away with this with more questions answered, or is this still something that you, you still have some mm-hmm. for Makachev's ultimate? Because we got to see 225 of him. It was an incredible 225, but um, I, I don't know what you take away from this in terms of uh, you know his absolute upward mobility other than he finished an incredibly difficult guy with ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it certainly answers some questions about you know, what his role is in the top 10, right? He was ranked number five or number six going into this fight, even though he hadn't beaten anyone in the top 10. Um, so now you can definitely say he deserves a spot there. Um, it is such a dominating performance that it does leave question about who could deal with this, uh, especially in a division that does... I mean, you do have some wrestlers in there, right? You've got Gaethje and um, uh, Chandler, but it just seems like it's on such a higher level. Uh, of course, it was very short, so we didn't get a ton of time to see what he could do. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's ready for anybody in the division. I mean, I'd favor him versus the champ right now. Well, yeah, you and I were talking a lot about like the potential of, of Makachev next. So to just paint the lightweight picture, of course, the title fight is in December, where you have Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. Next weekend is Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje, another huge fight. I would say we're talking about a division of those four and Makachev and that and that just the outcomes of those fights are going to set up our major lightweight fights. But Neil Dariush would like a word with you, John. Okay, Dariush has a deceptive win streak that nobody talks about this guy at 155 pounds. And if I'm Islam Makachev, I, I don't know if the fight with Benil Dariush is the most appealing on paper of someone who's a very difficult out, mm. but also someone that is coming with less than zero notoriety with his fights. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the big thing with Dariush is that, as you say, he has not much notoriety. Well, you say he has none. Uh, he did pick up some with his last win. The The Tony Ferguson fight was a big fight. He also had his bizarre post-fight uh, speech that everyone can remember. So he's making a name for himself. He, but yes, in terms of notoriety, definitely not the biggest name, but he's higher ranked and you know, it's a way to just sort of skip right to that title shot with the win. We were also talking about the fact, like, if you did not have, number one, uh, a disaster of an individual outside of the octagon, plus you have the injury he's recovering mm. from, just given the history with Khabib, that that is a natural opponent for Conor McGregor. That, I think, would engage a lot of people based off the fumes of that feud and rivalry. However, I I don't even look at Conor McGregor right now as an active option no, 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 in the no. UFC at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, it, I, I would say you can't even imagine him fighting until 
you know, roughly a year since that last one. And, and the opponent list, it needs to come down. It needs to be closer to the cowboy side of things. Yeah, that, that's, that's a horrible fight for Conor McGregor oh, for many reasons. But it is, I think it would be a big fight just based off of everything involved. And, and to be quite honest, um, is that a fight that Islam would hold a similar opinion about as Khabib of not even mm. wanting that yeah. fight? I mean, these are like that is a group that you, we have seen the the motivation is not just strictly financial. Yes, and Conor McGregor, they may just look at like where does that guy get us? Just looking from a pure ranking sports perspective. Yeah, I also think if you're the UFC, you don't want to do that one because it's just Conor's so far off from being able to win it. I think you want to put him into a fight that he has a chance to win. I don't and, know. We saw all. Dude, Dana was literally with Khabib. Hey. You know how much you and... You, <laughs> dude, I think Dana makes well, that fight. Well, that's that, the closest he can get. Okay, Habib, that's different because that's the biggest fight they could possibly put on. But there's bigger Conor fights than Islam, right? A Dustin fight, a Nate fight, even a Tony Ferguson fight, theoretically. So, um, anyway, I don't want to talk about that guy anymore. <laughs> well, uh, Islam Makachev, an enormous win here over uh, Dan Hooker. And it will be a big fight he has at lightweight, whether it be... Benil Dariush or <laughs> amazing though that this was the second best wrestling performance on the card. That's true. <laughs> uh, we do have to talk about this heavyweight fight. This was Phil Smith tonight. <laughs> Marcin Tybora and Alexander Volkov going a long three rounds. Uh, Volkov winning the first and third round, while Tabora, um, you know, d- d- did enough damage in the second round where it was more just Volkov just kind of being a witness during this this round and just kind of absorbing. Um, not a very spirited performance. I wouldn't say you come away with this uh, salivating over any heavyweight matchups that this creates. Uh, but Volkov gets the win, scores of 30-27 twice, and 29-28, ending a five-fight unbeaten streak for Tybura, which included four fights last year. Incredibly uh, active during the pandemic. Uh, but Volkov, he had been coming off a loss to Cyril Gahn here. So bouncing back, or actually had bounced back with the wins over Walt Harris and Alistair Overeem over the past year. Do I have this right? No, he is coming off the gone loss. Yeah, that one was, uh, uh, yeah, quite a Wow, well, it was only in June. June. Oh, wow, okay. That was pretty recent then. Uh, yeah, Volkov, you know, he's a very skilled guy, not terribly exciting. He was able, he looked bad for him here. It looked like he was making some big mistakes and letting Tabura back into the fight, but he was able to put it together, use mostly just strong technique, just sharp, one twos and getting out of the way um and and that was enough to get the w yeah the big thing that the announcers uh were on were the, the takedown defense of alexander volkov <laughs> man 13 for 13 i mean that was a that was a fight incredible <laughs> takedown defense. i mean tabura's no curtis blades yeah but yes but uh hamza chimaya making his a uh, long-awaited return um this was after uh it was that i Identified, I think the wording on the broadcast was uh, medical setbacks. Yes, this man had a brutal, brutal battle with COVID-19 to the point that he was looking to end his career and not come back. Uh, But he came back in a big way here, uh, defeating Li Jing Liang in three minutes and 16 seconds. So, I mean, this guy was, he lifts up with a waist lock and takes Jing Liang and dumps him in front of Dana White, who he starts communicating with. Just total control here. He moves to the back, sinks in a rear naked choke, and Jing Liang, he is refusing to submit. He is ready to go out, uh, 
Chimaev just adjusted positions with the arm, and then Jing Liang went out cold at 316 of this first round. Utterly dominant performance from Chimaev. He, of course, burst onto the scene. He won two fights in 10 days in July of last year, followed up with the Gerald Mearshart win in September of last year, but has not competed for 13 months. He looked incredible here. Absolutely. I mean, one of the most anticipated returns in a long time. A lot of questions, especially about his health. Um, you know, we didn't get to see him go long, but for what we saw, it was just complete domination. And, you know, just to a little bit on that waist lock, you know, he was talking to Dana while he was holding the waist lock. So he's got Ji Lang elevated and he's talking to Dana. Lang's just like panicking. Chimaev's calm as a cookie, then he dumps him, controls position, constantly going for the finish. Lang defending, but always on to the next move for Chimaev. Just complete dominant grappling. Like, very, extremely impressive. He was asked who he wants to fight next. He said everybody. At the same time? Everybody, simultaneously. (laughs) Don't space them out. Any weight class, he will take them on. And he told Dana White, watch my fights, don't be on your phone. Yeah, that's those, right. Those yes. were his words for yes. Dana. That's, I guess that's what he said he was yelling at him. He saw him on his phone, so he, start, he said, hey, watch my fight. He's an incredibly captivating personality with a style that is going to win over any viewer that tunes into him. I would still like to see him in a longer fight so we, we mm-hmm. see a bit more from him. Uh, but Li Jingliang is not a pushover mm-hmm. in any sense of the imagination. So, I mean, he passed this with flying colors. Um, and I think that, you know, certainly he is back and is going to be programmed accordingly in this welterweight division. I hope he kind of just chooses his weight class and sticks to it. Uh, I mean, he has the ability to go back and forth, but I think for uh, optimization of your career is just focus on welterweight and move forward because this is the kind of performance and individual that I I think he's going to command some big fights in in, in 2022. He is certainly one of the fighters to watch next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, had a little bit of weight issues making this, so I think sticking to the weight class and honing in on those the weight cut uh, would be key. And look, he took no damage. He he seemed last year to want to fight frequently. Hopefully, he can do that again, and and we'll see him back in there maybe even before the end of the year. I would not be surprised. And this is a guy that we. I mean, he wanted to be active. Um, you know, it was COVID that that you know kept him out for all that time, and I could imagine wants to make up. For lost time, but uh, we're we're gonna see. Like this is the kind of fighter that you you can always see. It's just like the arrow to Dana White's heart that <laughs> I will fight often, entertainingly, and be a captivating personality. And I think they they really see that in a in a star building type of fighter that he represents. And the main card it opened up with Magomed Ankalaev and Volkan Ozdemir, who was a plus 250 underdog. Uh, they went the three rounds here, and this was just a a pretty solid performance turned in by Magomed Ankalaev, who got dropped in the first round, but came back, I thought, doing enough to win the first round. This would have been the closest one. One judge had it 29-28. I would suspect it was the first, uh, because in the second, it was Ankalaev uh, getting the takedown and just destroying this guy's left eye after a check right hook. 
uh, in the third, Ankalaev with a big flurry and just kept Ozdemir at distance. It was a you know a clear win here for Ankalaev. 30-27 twice and 29-28 as he has now won seven straight. And after he kind of got tied to Iwan Kudalaba with those two fights where they had to run it back, it kind of put him just on the sidelines for a bit. And this is certainly a light heavyweight that I don't think gets often mentioned among the contenders, but he certainly won. This is a guy in Ozdemir that has fought for the title in the past. And Ankalaev, it's a as you said, it's not a super deep division that he should catapult himself up into that mix where they are searching for contenders. In terms of skill level, this is definitely a win that puts him right up there. He should be going up against, you know, the toughest guys. Hey, maybe uh, Blahovich is a good opponent next uh, coming off of that loss. Um, you know, the only thing is he's just not well known and uh, he hasn't had a lot of exposure. So he's going to have a little bit of a longer go to get there. But because, again, as we mentioned, not a lot of contenders, he can probably get there pretty quick and definitely has the skills. So this is somebody who I'm pretty sure we're going to see challenge for a title next year. And then the quick results here did not see all of the prelims. Uh, saw a bit of it. Uh, we, we will talk about one uh, glaring uh, instance here of officiating on the undercard. But uh, Amanda Hebos defeated Virna Jandaroba by unanimous decision, 29-28 scores. Zubera Takugov over Ricardo Hamosh by unanimous decision, 29-28. Albert Durayev over Roman Kopalov, 30-27, 29-27, 29-27, another unanimous decision. Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos defeated Benoit Saint-Denis by unanimous decision, 29-26 across the board. I saw some 29-25s in this. Uh, There was a point deduction in the third. But this second round in particular is a round that is going to be heavily scrutinized coming out of this weekend. There was a an official, not a regular official, that you see on the UFC broadcast by the name of Vyacheslav Kiselev, who was actually removed from his uh, officiating duties for the remainder of the night. This second round was an atrocity. John McCarthy, of all people, think of the ground this covers and the rounds this man has observed in his lifetime, called this the worst officiating job in the history of the UFC. It was uncomfortable how long this went. There are times that I I do give the benefit of the doubt when you're in the heat of it as a referee. You don't want to do it too early. And sometimes we will see like it's a dominant performance, but there's not that moment to step in. There were multiples of it Mm. in the second round. Uh, I had some people calling this a 10-7 round. I don't think that's egregious. Uh, Saint-Denis did come back at the end of the second and did land a bit, but it was, it should never have gotten to that point. And I always remember one of the quotes that John McCarthy has given about uh, a 10-7 round about the reason there aren't too many of them because a fight should really never get to that point where you Mm. have to score it a 10-7. It should be over by that point. This was certainly the case. And I think they made the right call removing this referee. It was a pretty bad deal. I mean, it sounded pretty bad. I mean, you had fighters online who are going to be the ones, I think, with the longest latitude when it comes to a stoppage that were just appalled by this. You know who wasn't on that list? Who was that? Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz. <laughs> um, uh, fortunately for me, I didn't see this one because I was uh, in transit. But uh, you should go back came, and watch this. Second yeah. Match. Well, when I came in the door, I mean, this is this was like top of mind for years. So it sounded pretty atrocious. And uh, you know, good on the UFC and uh, Abu Dhabi for making the correct call to get him out of there. This guy's probably not getting the call back for a future event. Uh, Mihal 
Oleg Shechuk defeated Shamil Gamzatov by TKO, 331 of the first round. Lerone Murphy knocked out Makwan Amerikani at 14 seconds of the second round. This is uh, Amerikani's third loss in a row. For someone that was a, a rising prospect at 145 pounds, um, he, he's fallen on a, on a rough stretch. Uh, and this one was one of the roughest because he dominated the first round with grappling. It wasn't even close. And then he just telegraphed the takedown into the, in the second round and he got hit with this knee and this knee was very scary. He was out on the ground for a long time. He he recovered seems okay. So that's good, but a very brutal loss and especially brutal because he was dominating it. That's unfortunate. Um, Andre Petrosky submitted, uh, Hu Yao Song by Arm Triangle, 446 of the third round. And then Tagir Ulan Bekov won a split decision over Alan Nascimento, uh, 29 uh, 229-28 in Ulan Bekov's side and one for Nascimento. And that was our card from Abu Dhabi. I would say you're only seeing the main card, but it was um, a real highlight was was Jan and Sanhag, and that was that was my fight of the card, and it seems like uh, the most egregious officiating job of the year on top of it. So that's what you got. <laughs> and look, uh, you know, it wasn't the greatest fight because we, you know, we were talking about the Blahovich sort of, you know, fight IQ disappearance, but you know, respect to Glover Tejera, you know, legend of the game, guy never quit to to keep at this sport despite years of injuries beatdowns defeats and you know as a 40 year old to put in the work every day to become a champion even if he's not your favorite fighter even if you you wanted Jan to win this you gotta tip your hat off to this guy just really you know inspirational you love to see it you know I'm 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 39 maybe I still have a chance to be a UFC champion you could be and now the the light heavyweight debate is on there you go that was the card and uh, just looking ahead, we're going to be back, Phil and I, two weekends in a row. We are going to yes. be uh, but we'll, I think we'll keep our distance for the yeah, next. Yeah, I, I don't this expect enough. Phil's not going to be coming over for a Saturday <laughs> night card. Let's be realistic here. But um, this is an awesome card next Saturday. They're returning to Madison Square Garden. We have the rematch between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. This is uh, almost two years removed from their last fight, uh, but in those two years. I think Usman has made such significant advances in his career. We got to see his striking on point that night with Covington. I mean, he won that fight with his striking. And since that time, what he has done has been remarkable with Henry Hooft. Colby Covington's had one fight in that time, and that was the Tyron Woodley fight. So we know Covington's conditioning is at an ultra elite level. But man, you are really going to have to have the best performance of your career against Kamaru Usman next Saturday. And I just think that Usman is that much better from that first fight that they had, which was an amazing fight. Yeah, it was it was a great fight. And, and I, I agree with your assessment. I, I just sort of see like skill for skill. They're very comparable, but it's it's this, it's very similar styles. And Kamaru is just a little bit better in each of those departments. So I just don't see really what area... Colby's going to be able to get the W with unless he's able to, you know, land a shot that's able to change the course of the fight. Do you see it being a different fight from the first just in terms of like that, like strictly a stand-up striking affair? I, I do think it'll be a, mostly a striking affair because I just, I don't think Colby's going to want to wrestle. Maybe Kamaru chooses to wrestle a little more, but I just don't see Colby wrestling. So I, I see something very similar to the first one 
Which is really exciting because that was pretty good. It, it is going to be a bit of a reversal because, you know, for Ben Askren, the amount of highlight film he had to see for every UFC promo where he was eating that knee. Mm-hmm. How many times are we going to see that knockout of Masvidal over the next oh, week? Yes. Because that yes. thing is going to be shown. That is one of, like, visually, one of the most stunning knockouts you're going to see. Um Almost at par with the Sandhag and Frankie Edgar one that we got to see several times tonight. Uh, Rose Nama Yunus and Zhang Wei Li in a rematch for the women's strawweight title. Going back to the arena where Nama Yunus won the title back in 2017 and got the infamous Thug Rose call. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not super excited about this rematch immediately um, because the first one was so dominant. But it's also... You know, there's not a ton of options in this division. So uh, hopefully Zhang can make some adjustments and it'll be a more competitive fight this time. Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje, which I mean, um, hard to really pinpoint. I mean, this this could be, I mean, just lay and pray. I mean, this is like, <laughs> what? I don't know. I hope the crowd is still into it after this fight. I mean, outside of Michael Chandler having another like freak nerve injury like he did with Brent Primus. I don't know how this is not going to be just fireworks for as long as it lasts. I'm not going to uh, venture to... Actually, in the same arena where Chandler suffered that injury oh. with Brent Primus. Oh, that was in uh, MSG. That was, that was at the Garden. Oh, okay. So, interesting. Um, but, nonetheless, what a fight that we've got and should be spectacular and very, very well could be a championship fight for the winner coming out of this. I think so. Uh, it seems to really set it up, uh, you know, because the Poirier-Olivera uh, fight's happening uh, very soon. Just the, so, uh, the following month, yeah. Yeah, so um, it certainly, you know, leaves that opportunity. And, uh, you know, a Gaethje versus Poirier rematch, that'd be pretty exciting. That was a good fight. Shane Burgos, Billy Quarantillo, and Frankie Edgar against Marlon Vera. This fight is probably going to fly under the radar, but that's a huge fight for Frankie Edgar. And a very tough <laughs> opponent for him and Vera. This is his first fight since the Sandhagen knockout yeah I mean he's you know the last couple years have been rough he's had some pretty brutal uh, knockout losses we there was the Ortega one as well Marlon Vera's looked pretty good but he sort of had just like some flat performances in the octagon it yeah this is kind of one of those fights that is Frankie Edgar still able to compete with the top of the division and you know can Marlon Vera you know cement his spot in the top 10 can you actually go check take a look at shane burgos there yeah when was his last that fight to he's coming off the barboza loss that was in may yeah that was such a, that was the the delayed knockout i guess you know it's been six months i don't know i'm just the cons- always his last win was makwan emirakani <laughs> two years ago yeah i'm just always concerned when guys come back after such a brutal knockout like but it has been quite a few months so i'm probably just being a suck and we've also got the Bellator Lightweight Championship will be decided next week. Oh, is that the big, the other big one? Peter Queeley and Patricky Pitbull fighting for oh, the that vacant is, title. Well, I mean, you know, you got a you got a Pitbull brother on there. Uh, but it's also, we've got Canelo. Canelo versus Plant is how, how are you going to do this on Saturday night? Uh, well, I'm going to try to do what I did for Canelo versus... Um, uh, oh my gosh, what was the Russian fighter he knocked out? Because uh, we, we were watching... That was a pay-per-view that night. That was uh, Mosvid. That was Mosvidal versus Diaz. Right. right. This is where they had the whole delay. Yes. Yes. So I was able to sort of have the main event going while we were doing the show, and I sort of called the 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 knockout. Did, do you see any any kind of similarity where they are going to avoid going against each other? 
I think that they are, but it's not going to be a situation where they're sitting around waiting. I think they're just going to time it to be the main. Is that, that card's in Vegas? Yes, okay. it's in Vegas. Or is it in Texas? I'm not sure. But it, it's. The, they're going to time it so it's at the end of the. the uh, you're not going to see uh, Canelo sleeping on a couch again. Yeah, so uh, next weekend it is at the MGM Grand. So okay. it is a Vegas card. And it's a pretty exciting. I mean, Canelo is a pretty big favorite uh, over there. And, uh, you know, his opponent is a pretty good, very skilled boxer. But Canelo's, you They've know. got pr- those press conference highlights all week. So that's, <laughs> that's Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, he's best pound for pound for a reason. He's been incredible. His only loss is to Floyd Mayweather. And that was several years ago. So um, if you're not going to watch the UFC, I'd recommend uh, picking up this boxing card. So, yes, you will get another UFC post show next weekend. We'll be live here at youtube.com slash postwrestling to go over all of the action from UFC 268. Uh, some other fight nights coming up. At the week after that is Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, Misha Tate, and Ketlin Vieira on November 20th. Rob Font and Jose Aldo December 4th. And then we've got the final pay-per-view of the year with uh, 269 December 11th with Oliveira Poirier and Juliana Pena challenging Amanda Nunez. These, like... What we're seeing now is like the fight nights, it's pretty much structured around a main event and then you fill it out. But these pay-per-views are benefiting from the fight nights not having necessarily the depth that you you would under normal circumstances where you are actively trying to sell tickets to a big arena. Yeah. And you know, they're what are the ratings aren't gonna vary too much, so the advertising dollars are gonna stay roughly the same. Whereas you put in big names on a, a pay-per-view, you create more buzz and it tends to create a bigger event. I think we've had far fewer sort of like baseline pay-per-views this year than ever before. They all seem to be outperforming. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Now, uh, is this a t- chance that we get to talk about uh, WrestleMania 19? Oh, just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You listened? <laughs> well, actually, so I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole show, but... Uh, Brandon messaged you. It, it wasn't Brandon. It was actually our, uh, our lovely friend, Eric Marcotte. He sent me a nice message. Uh, you know, talking about uh, WrestleMania 19, and I'll just give you my. I, I think that was the year Eric was born, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> I, I don't. I'm was probably not that born? far off. I don't think he was born yet. I'm pretty sure he wasn't around then. Um, but uh, uh, so I remember. I don't remember that specific event at your house. You 100 percent came over. I, for I that one. I'm sure I did. I, I, re- I, I do remember getting. A, it might have been the weekend or the day of, but I did get a call from you asking. Oh, I don't doubt it. I just you know we used to. For uh, people who don't know, uh, we worked in the movie theater, and they used to pay the pay-per-views at uh, the movie theater, so there was a lot of times where we gathered. Yeah, we went to a few of those. Yeah, yeah. so I'm just mixing up which ones I went to your house, because I think I went to your house a couple times, and which okay. ones, right? So, I don't remember anything about that pay-per-view, except... Crack Addict. <laughs> what crack addict? That's the theme song by Limp Bizkit. Oh, <laughs> Limp Bizkit, yeah, the new album. I thought that's why you brought them up no. tonight. You were bringing up a separate Limp Bizkit uh, <laughs> subject tonight with me. Um... Because that would have been the last uh, WWE event I saw for 15 years. Is it really? Yeah, because it was Lesnar versus Angle. I remember just being really grossed out at the finish. You know, he's like, you know, he nearly died there, right? So it was just really creepy. And I'd already sort of been not following as much. And then, yeah, I missed the Batista era, the John Cena era, and then, you know, I emailed you a few years later with some WrestleMania that went on. And <laughs> on. I mean, you check back in. At, at I've, seen, I've seen more CM Punk 
MMA matches than I have CM Punk wrestling matches. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, th- I think you would actually uh, get into some of the stuff that that he's into now. Uh, what are, what is kind of your your wrestling intake these days, if if anything? Um, it's not really much. I mean, I, I pay attention to. I, I'm interested in the the competition, the business competition, AEW versus WWD. That's really exciting. I did see some of these exciting moments that AEW's been putting on the return of CM Punk, the return of. Uh, Brian Danielson, um, but uh, but I'm not watching uh, too much of it. But I always get the info from uh, the people in the Discord and what I tune into um, during the uh, you know whatever I can listen to on the post shows. Did you see any of the uh, PFL this week? <laughs> Did I see any of the PFL? I saw which, which, which like, uh, <laughs> <you> <laughs> a top ten of the eight hours. Rank the hours. Oh my gosh! So the PFL, it's just look this these they gave away. $7 million or $6 million to be number 110 on cable. You're you have you're building stars that you're burying. You've got Clarissa Shields fighting grapplers in her second fight, and you're burying her. The only person who got any rub was Kayla Harrison. And that's cool. She's a star. She should. But why couldn't these title fights have been spread out over a few weeks? I, I just... I mean, they think they're they're chasing a TV deal, but who's going to pay out for number one ten on cable? Yeah, I think it's. I really want the PFL to be successful. I think mm, the format, yes. the seasonal for, format, it sounded very. Cause I was not the biggest fan of like when the IFL tried this out mm. with like the teams. I just didn't think it worked. But this kind of seasonal thing, I've liked it. It's it's different enough. It's got. A mixture of rising fighters or even ex-UFC fighters that are still capable. Um, you've got a few stars, mainly like Kayla Harrison, I think is someone people want to see. But it's you look at this, like the business plan, it's like, does this really work long term? Mm, yeah. They seem like they've done a tremendous job of getting funding. So yes. that's that's a credit to them that they've been able to uh, persist through all of this. But I think, like, ultimately, there is kind of that moment where you've got to reach and say, is this going to be viable as, like, this standalone thing? And I think every MMA group out there is looking at what the UFC got with ESPN and hoping they can get just a fraction of that deal, which is not always how it works out. It's like you have the industry leader, but, like, there's a major gap between UFC and everyone else. Absolutely. And the the just there's too many things going on on these title these fights to focus on these fighters to create stars the the benefit of this season format and we discussed this previously is you know all of a sudden you're introduced to names over and over again at you know guys who might be mid card fighters and you're at least seeing them in significant fights more than once so you just become familiar with them even if they're not the best fighter just being able to tune in and see recognizable faces is a big benefit. But if you're just going to cram everybody onto one show, you lose all of that. You could have had two title fights a week for the last three weeks. And then, you know, you've got uh, Kayla Harrison on there. And then you've got uh, that heavyweight dude who, um, I, for- I forgot his name, but he was like, kind of like the best story. The guy who found out his father. Bruno the- Capel. Yeah, yeah, right? So it's like, like he should be getting a lot more rub after what happened uh, at PFL this week. But it's just, it's just lost. And it's just too many stories. And like... I want them to be successful too. I want fighters to make millions of dollars. Of course I do. But 
it just seems like they're just interested in putting together a TV package that they can sell. We can put on eight hours of TV. Here you go. It's like, okay, what's the price tag? $7 million. Uh, okay, I'll pass. Yeah, that that to me is a big thing that's going to be a sticking point is that, man, you, you really have to have um, respect for people's free time. Like it, the idea of you presenting 10 fights, however many it was, over an eight-hour, near eight-hour stretch is – just mind-boggling. Well, to when me. They, and and when they're title fights too, you're you're telling people you have to watch these. These are the important fights, and it's like, well, I can't watch those, so I'm going to skip your important fights. So you have no important fights. So it's like you put on those other fights early. You hope people will watch, and they say, okay, it's okay. You don't have to watch these. The big fights are on later. If you can tune in just a little bit, that's good. Uh, so just ending off here, as we're seeing the uh, the note, the fight of the night went to Pyotr Jan and Corey Sanhagen. Performance of the night bonuses to Glover Teixeira and Hamzat Chimaev. I don't think anyone's arguing with any of those calls. And that's going to wrap up our coverage of UFC 267. Once again, we're back next Saturday night. As soon as the pay-per-view ends, we will be live here at YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling to review 268 from Madison Square Garden and whatever Phil sees of Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant, he might be half listening to me run down the card as he is watching the fight, which is fine. I'm half listening to you right now. I'm not even listening to you. So we are going to wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Good night, Brandon.